Our topic tonight is out of Manasseh Part 2, out of Second Chronicles Chapter 32, Repentance. Okay, again, Manasseh's way down the line from King David all the way down in the tribes of Judah, the kingdoms, kings of Judah, uh, after Hezekiah, after northern Israel was taken captive. And that's where we are in the timeline. And a little review from 2 Kings 21. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. Again, longer than any other king. 55 years, that's a long, long time, especially back then. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So not only did he reign a long time, he reigned wickedly for a long time. And much oppression, horrible, horrible time. And so we got to wonder why on earth would God allow that? Why would he allow 55 years of a horrible reign of a horrible king? Verse 16, moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another beside his sin by which he had made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And as we looked at last week, it lists various different sins that he did, putting idols up and all kinds of things, worshiping Baal and getting the people to worship Baal, but then also shedding innocent blood. No doubt people who were wanting to worship the true God and worship him the right way. And Manasseh wasn't happy with that and kills them. Jerusalem filled one end to the other, either with bodies or blood, doing evil in the sight of the Lord and making them sin as well. Horrible. Horrible experience. Well, it's the Second Chronicles 33, verse 11. Therefore, the Lord brought upon the captains of the army of the kings, upon them, the captains of the army of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. So with hooks, uh, maybe hooks in his nose, they, they somehow hooked them so that when they pulled, if you didn't move, you were in pain. And maybe dragged him behind a horse. You got to keep up with a horse from Israel to, to, to Assyria. It's a long walk. Keep it up. And if you fall, you trip, you get tired, you get dragged by the nose, by the hooks or whatever, however they have them hooked and, and uh, bound, and chained, and dragged. Horrible. Even for a horrible person. So God brings the king of Assyria and allows him. God's protection has been removed. And so Assyria comes in and takes the king captive. Now, when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him. Now, it doesn't tell us what year this took place, but we get the impression it was in the later years of his reign. And he's praying before the Lord. Now, if you were God, <laughs> and this person caused you trouble and trouble to your people, your children, for let's say 50 years, killing them, 
Let's say you weren't God. Let's say you're you. And there's someone who's killed your children. And caused problems throughout. Destroyed your company and your livelihood and got you fired and caused you untold problems. Brought disaster upon your nation. And sorrow for 50 years. And then some trouble comes to him. He gets sick or something like that. And he comes to you pleading for forgiveness. How ready and how apt. How would we respond? He humbles himself greatly before the God of his fathers. His father, Hezekiah, was a good king. Grandfather, great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather. He implored God and praised to him. So he knew. He became king at, what we say, eight years old, 12 years old. So he had 12 years of some experience with his father. He knew. And he resisted and resisted and resisted for 50 years or whatever. And in his time of real need, he didn't cry out to Baal. Didn't cry out to the gods of the Amorites or the Canaanites. He cried out to the Lord God of heaven and healed his father that gave his father 15 more years. And remember again, Manasseh's born during that time. And he cries out to that God. God, forgive me. Implored him greatly, humbled himself. And he received his entreaty, talking about God. God received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. And that's the reason. That's the reason God allowed him to reign as king longer than any other. Not only does he reign longer than any other, but all the bad kings of Judah reign less than 20 years. Most of them just a few years. Most of them less than a decade. But he is not only reigns longer, but longer, much longer, twice as long than any bad king. Over twice as long. Because God knew there was still hope. There was a song, Only the Good Die Young. And if that's true, which I don't necessarily think is true, but if it's true, that's why. Because God is still giving the wicked more time to repent. He's long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish. And if there is still a glimmer of hope for that person, he will keep them alive to give them more opportunity. But when they reach the point, when we reach the point of refusing, and no matter what God would do, and God knows, even if he gave us another billion years, even if he sent another million angels to our side, even if he blessed us or even if he cursed us, 
even if he brought plenty or even if he allowed calamity. He knows if, if we get to the point and he knows nothing's going to change us. We're not going to turn. We're not going to repent. He can just pull the cord. But as long as there's hope, there's life. Or maybe as long as there's life, there's hope. And so God, very long-suffering with Manasseh, and he repents. And God sends him back to Jerusalem. I mean, that's miraculous. The Assyrians took the whole northern tribes of Israel and never let them go back. But he lets the king, Manasseh, go back to Jerusalem. And it wasn't just, obviously, it wasn't just a, uh, uh, a prayer of fear. It was a real prayer of repentance because when he gets back to Jerusalem, he knows that the Lord is God. He set him free from the bondage. And after this, he built a wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gihon in the valley and as far as the entrance of the fish gate and he enclosed Ophel and he raised it up to a very great height. Then he put military captains in all the fortified cities of Judah. Why does he do that? Why does he build up the walls of the city of David? Why does he build them around the Gihon Spring? Why does he make the walls to a great height? Why does he build up the military captains? He doesn't want the Assyrians to come back for him. <laughs> he doesn't trust them. He doesn't want to get taken with hooks back there. So he builds up the military again. But we saw that all the good kings did that as well. But also he took away, verse 15, still Second Chronicles 33, he took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem. He repaired the altar of the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it and he commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Yes, so real repentance manifested. So we saw he humbled himself and confessed his sins. That's the first step. God sets him free, sends him back to Jerusalem, and then the real test comes. The gospel is Yeshua, the Messiah, dying for us, granting us forgiveness. Plus, the Holy Spirit coming inside us and changing us and empowering us. Too often people focus on just one or the other. They focus just on the forgiveness. And we're just forgiven and it ends there. It doesn't end there. Other people just focus on, well, be good, be good, be good. And that's not where it starts. We're forgiven by the grace of God and transformed by the Holy Spirit. And here is a sign that he was transformed building up the walls of the city, protection of the city, and spiritually as well, removing the idols, getting rid of them, getting rid of the foreign gods. That took humbleness. It's one thing to humble yourself in a prison in a foreign land. It's another thing to come back as king and say, I've been wrong for 50 years. I undid all the good that my father did, and I led you into sin, and I led you in a wrong path. 
And all these things are false gods. All these things are wrong. And to go about removing them. And that's what he did. And repairing the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And repairing the altar. And reinstating the sacrifices. Because he knew it's through the sacrifices that forgiveness comes. Through the blood of the Lamb. Foreshadowing the Messiah to come. He knew he had been forgiven. And he knew it was because of the coming Messiah's sacrifice. And he also gave thank offerings and peace offerings as well. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed on the high places, but only to the Lord their God. It's kind of a, let's go two-sided here. Well, we got these high places that were built. So you got rid of all the stuff in Jerusalem, but you got all the high places in the outskirts in the other cities. And the people aren't necessarily coming to Jerusalem, they're just worshiping in their high places, in their cities, their hills, their mountains, but they're only worshiping to the Lord God. So they take a pagan altar, and well, we'll just change it, and it's to the word, worshiping the Lord God. The rest of the acts of Manasseh, his prayer to his God, and the words of the seers, who spoke to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel. Now that's an interesting line because we have the book of kings in the Bible and yet this whole account that we just read is not listed in the book of kings. Everything we read the last time about his wickedness and all he did was almost word for word with Second Chronicles. The two of them were just like parallel all the way through. Second Chronicles talks about him humbling himself, being taken captive with the hooks and, and humbling himself and coming back and making a change. The book of Kings doesn't mention that at all. But in the book of Chronicles, it says it's mentioned in the book of Kings. And not only is the story it says is mentioned in the book of Kings, but also the words of the prophets is in the book of Kings. And his prayer is mentioned in the book of Kings. So somewhere down the line, we lost that part. So that's kind of interesting. And then verse 19, his prayer and how God received his entreaty and all his sin and his trespasses and the sites, the very sites where he built high places and where he set up wooden images and carved images before he was humbled. Indeed, they are written among the sayings of Hosei. Do you know where the book of Hosea is? It's right between the book of Hezekiah and the book of <laughs> Third Chronicles, right? We don't have that book. It's amazing that someone doesn't make up a book and, and give it his name and, and try and sell it, but we don't have it today. But the Bible says there was a prophet or a seer or a scribe and we, don't, and we recorded this whole experience, and we, have, we don't have that book yet today. For whatever reason. And maybe in God's time, God will reveal it. Maybe it'll come forth. But one way or the other, we have enough from what we do have to see the hand of the Lord and the power of his might, of his mercy, his love, his long-suffering towards Manasseh, his judgment upon those who refuse to repent, his balance between the two, 
And even with God's long suffering towards Manasseh, even with Manasseh's repentance and even with Manasseh's reforms, even with him getting rid of all the idols in Jerusalem and reinstating the worship in the temple, the book of Jeremiah lays the finger upon Manasseh for Babylon's coming in and destroying Jerusalem and taking us captive for 70 years. We're going to see there's still several more kings, even at least one good one. But the 50 or whatever years of sin that was instituted took such a hold that even though Manasseh repented and recovered, many, many people did not. So God might work in our lives. God might work a miracle in us. God may change our hearts. But the people that we have affected, the people that we have influenced for evil before we came to the Lord, they may not. Or even as believers. If we hurt someone, if we do someone wrong, if we neglect some duty or commit some act, we may eventually repent of that. We may apologize to them. We may confess it to the Lord and be forgiven. But it may have an eternal, lasting, negative effect upon that individual. How important for us to live every day for the Lord. Don't put out the day of our salvation. Don't say, well, hey, man, has a lived a long time, lived wickedly, and then repented at the end. I'll just repent at the end. Now is the time to repent. None of us know how long we're going to live. None of us know when we cross that line of no going back and that God knows. None of us know when we pass that hardness of heart that won't confess the sin. But now as we hear God's voice, now is the day of our salvation. Now is the time to repent. Now is the time to surrender our hearts. Now is the time to be right with God. Now is the time to put away every false thing. Because our example, maybe we're living like the rich young ruler came to Yeshua. I do all those things. And Yeshua pointed out one thing, one thing you're lacking. We might be doing good with the Lord in all areas, but one area we're lacking. One area, one part of our character is unsanctified. Maybe we still have a temper. Maybe we still get angry. Maybe we still impatient. Maybe we still have a sharp tongue. Maybe we're breaking some commandment of the Lord. And we're not seeing negative effects necessarily directly on us, but what influence are we placing upon others? There are plenty of people who become alcoholics because they were given an example of someone else who could drink every once in a while and then put it down. So they think, oh, I could do the same. And they can't. And become lifelong alcoholics. I was talking with someone today, lost her only grandson, 27 years old, overdosed to heroin. 
Someone introduced him to it. Got started somewhere. And that other person might be clean. That other person might have gotten away. The other person might have given it up. But this young boy didn't. Praise God in his mercy. Praise God for his long suffering. Maybe there's someone in your life who's been a grumpy, nasty, mean, horrible person for 50 years or 62 years or seemingly forever. Maybe a boss, maybe a spouse, maybe a parent, maybe a child, maybe a brother or sister. They still have life. God hasn't given up on them, and we shouldn't give up on them either. Continue to pray. Continue to intercede. Continue to look for opportunities to share God's love in tangible ways and the word of God in a powerful way. Never give up as there's life and hope. God can change Manasseh. He can change anyone. Sixty so years of hardened heart. And God changed him. I might work some heavy circumstances in their life. Might have to take them with hooks and drag them to another country. God is well able to do whatever is necessary to wake us up, to get our attention. And why would God do that for Manasseh? Why would he put hooks in his mouth and drag him to Assyria? Because he loved him. Yeah, because he loved him. They're like a fish, right? Dragging him along. Because he loves him. And God loves the Manasseh in your life. God loves the pain in the neck in your life. And Manasseh was much more than that. God loves our enemies as well. As long as they have life, it's because God is still reaching out to them. And God calls us as his children to love them with our hearts, with our minds, and with our actions and to reach out to them as well. Manasseh rested with his fathers and they buried him in his own house and his son Amnon reigned in his place. I don't have the text in about Amnon. I might as well tell him now. Not much. There's only a couple verses. Amnon reigns two years. That's it. And he did all the evil his dad did. God says, that's it. Cuts him off. Because he knew even after two years, the guy wasn't going to repent. I don't need to give him 55 years. He's not going to repent. God knew. Two years. Cuts him off. He dies. Some of his servants kill him. Maybe they began to see, hey, changes took place. When Manasseh repented, we're not going back that old way. And they kill him. Two years. So Manasseh's years of sin are not overridden by his years of repentance in his son's life. He repented. Manasseh is saved, I believe. Demonstrated true humility and 
confession and repentance gives us every, under, every reason to believe he is saved. But the account of his son gives us every reason to believe he's not. So we might make it, but what about the others that we're influencing? What about our sons and our children and our neighbors and our family? Let them see the changed life in us. So as we pray, any of these areas apply to you? There's someone in your life, a Manasseh in your life, that you have no idea why they're still alive. In your human heart, you wish they weren't. They would just go away anyway. Move them away, something. God has a reason. God has a purpose. God's not done with them yet. And so as from Manasseh's coming to your mind, as we pray, ask God to give you love for that person. Ask God to give you knowledge and wisdom to know how you can show your love, God's love to that person. Maybe it's interceding in prayer. Maybe it's some action. Let God reveal to you. And if there's some mistakes that you've made in the past, do all that you can in your part to make it right before God and before those that we've hurt. And if we've been a bad example, either in our past or in our present, let us repent before God, humble ourselves before him, greatly entreat him, receive his forgiveness, and also do what we can to make it right with the humans that we've influenced. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for your long-suffering mercy towards Manasseh and your long-suffering mercy towards us. We're thankful that you're not done with us. We're thankful that you're still working. We're thankful that you're still alive. You're still on your throne. Thankful that you still love us with an everlasting love and you're still transforming us, changing us. Lead us closer to you. Lead us in repentance. Lead us in mercy. Lead us to conf in confession. Give us the gift of repentance. Lord, forgive us for being a bad influence on others, leading other people astray. Thank you for the hurts that we've caused. Lord, thank you for forgiving us. Lord, show us how you want us to do what we can to rectify it, and change it in other people's lives. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.